Welcome to Sound Encounters, the show where I take you on a musical journey as we explore different genres, bands and artists, and new and classic releases. I'm Cesar Torres, and I'll be your guide today. I am back for episode 43 after being gone for a week. Look, I needed that week to recuperate. And I'm not going to lie, I almost canceled this week too, Um, but I'm here now. We're going to talk about classic prog rock later in the show and five albums to get you into classic prog rock, by the way, if that wasn't clear enough, or if this is your first time listening to a Sound Encounters podcast. But that's how we roll here at Sound Encounters. We're going to talk about a genre, then I'm going to give you five albums to get you to the genre. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you, Caesar. You're welcome for getting you into classic prog rock. You won't regret it because that's a fucking great genre. But I'll talk about that more later. For now, I want to talk about something that I, 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 I feel very strongly about but have never talked about it on the podcast. I, I just realized when I'm, I was looking at this and I was just like, yeah, I, I really got to talk about this on the podcast because I'm pretty sure there are other people who care about this. For those of you who don't know or, or don't have a subscription to a streaming service, then yeah, you you might not want to. You probably don't care. But look, I am also really huge. This is a fun fact about Caesar that you're just going to learn about. I am such a big nerd when it comes to just website design and apps designs, um, applications, like web applications, phone applications, doesn't matter. I'm a huge fan. You know, I keep up with this stuff because I use apps every day and especially Spotify, whether it's the website application or the, the phone application, I use it constantly to listen to my music. So of course I'm going to be very upset when Spotify changes something that I don't agree with and it, they just add in dumb features or... <laughs> They add in features that kind of last like one cycle because they realized that it was dumb or they just got backlash for it. And I'm one of those people that really enjoyed how Spotify kind of looked around 2017, 2018, if I remember correctly, and just got really upset when they changed the layout of the phone design. And I, I still, or I was upset at the, the it was a tiny feature where you can, if you use Spotify, you know, you can heart an album and it'll save it to your Spotify library. Before that, it was like a, just a plus sign. And the great thing about that feature was you can press the plus sign for the album and it'll just add all of the songs and the album to your library. But now when you do it, you have to like heart it and then, you know, tap the three dots and then click like all songs to have it added to your library. I kind of like how they did that, but before they implemented that change, it was just the heart and you had to like heart every song individually, which was an annoying process for me who, who loves to just add every song on an album to my library. Anyway, I'm rambling another quick uh, quality of life change that they added with the album update. But anyway, they drastically changed the library section, which I thought I was going to be livid about. But after playing around with it for a bit, I am actually very pleased with this change. So if you don't know, and oh my God, they almost got rid of recently played, which I was going to fucking 
I, I, I constantly use my recently played feature or the recently played feature just to listen to albums. Cause I, I like to listen to them like two to three times or even more just to get a feel for the album. Or if I'm really addicted to an album at the moment, then I'll just go to my recently played cause it's there. It's convenient. You know, why, why change it? Anyway, I'm rambling again. They changed the library feature. So at the top I have playlists, artists, albums, and then downloaded. And then, um, so right now, I think I'm in albums. Yes. No, I'm just, I'm just in the, the typical library section. And it, it even has its own recently played f- uh, feature. And I could change it to recently added, um, albums that are recently added, or just songs. Alphabetical, you know, this is standard stuff. I usually keep it on recently added if I'm going to listen to an album I recently added to the my library. Oh, and it even adds artists that I recently followed and then playlists I recently added. So that's kind of cool. But, you know, if I wanted to be more specific, I can go to albums and then just have recently added so that it's not including playlists or artists that I featured or favorited, whatever. So it's really just a customizable playground that I really enjoy. And I I usually keep my library on... um, this list mode, but you can even change it to the grid feature and you could just view your playlists and albums and artists through the grid feature, which I think is incredible. Right now I'm playing with too much there. I'm like, I, I'm messing up my preferred uh, feature for, or my preferred um, drop down menu. But yeah, I mean, do I have any downloaded? No, I don't have downloaded. No, except for my local files that you can't find on Spotify. I have to do that myself. But like, yeah, I could just go to playlists, click playlists, and then just go through the, my playlists in any order that I want to, whether it's recently played, recently added, alphabetical creator, or my own custom order, which is I, I rearrange my playlists in a custom order for a reason, especially when I'm driving. And then there's that grid feature that I could use. Oh, it's so gr- it's so good. But I think one of the best features that they implemented in this recent update is the fact that you can pin four things at the top of your library. So right now, the only thing I have pinned is liked songs. And I'll keep it pinned there because it has, I, I like to see how many songs that I have added to my library. But let's say I want to add or pin a, a playlist that I frequent or just is sentimental to me because I have some of those, then I could pin that. Or if I want to just pin my favorite albums, like here, here's White Light, White Heat by The Velvet Underground. I'm going to, I'm going to freaking pin it because you know what? It's a great album. Oh, okay. Well, you can't pin it if you go into the album, but oh, it's so good. Like, I, if I want to just pin Soundtracks to the Blind by uh, Swans, which is an album I've been listening to recently, then I could just do that. It is such a great feature. Why wasn't this added before? <laughs> Whoever came up with this deserves a raise because this just makes my Spotify browsing experience just so much better. So, oh, it's so good. I'm here for it. This is something that actually works. And that doesn't just throw in a stupid feature just to say it's in there, which is which is what Spotify does <laughs> regularly. But yeah, I am uh, here for it. I'm going to promote this new Spotify feature because it's made my life so much easier. And again, the browsing experience on not just the app, but the, um, the, the mobile app, but the website app is just, it's gotten better after being so shitty for a good year, year and a half. So yeah, I just wanted to gush about the new Spotify changes 
uh, because it's the it's the uh, the app that I use the most when I need to listen to music for the podcast, and it's it's just easy to go through. Uh, I pay for premium, so no ads, and it's great for when I have to work out. Now I'm just promoting pod, uh, Spotify without being asked to promote it for money or whatever. So listen, Spotify, just pay me. I just gave a glowing review of your most recent updates. So what else more do you want from me? Anyway, enough gushing about Spotify. I think it's time to start the show. So let's talk about progressive rock, AKA prog rock by asking the question, what is prog rock? So progressive rock or just shortened to Prague Rock, was born in the UK in the late 1960s as a response to the oversaturation of psychedelic imagery and blues and country inspiration in mainstream rock. Uh, And instead, it focused on incorporating jazz and Western classical music and folk music, among other genres, into rock to spice it up, to make something different than the mainstream uh, rock scene at the time. And it's for this reason that I think it was initially difficult for me to get into uh, it. I, I gave it multiple tries, though, because I, I knew I, I, I liked something about Prague. It, it did sound different. It did sound wacky and just something that I had not heard before in my life when I gave Prague rock a chance, but I stuck through with it and I ended up coming to love prog rock. You know, I think some of the most innovative rock songwriting and song structures came from prog rock. And I think I would say that it led to other genres of rock, you know, experimentation and math rock seems to be a a one that kind of sticks out to me when I listen to prog because there are different tempo shifts, time signature changes, and we'll get into it. But I, I know it's the subject of contention within, you know, some rock circles because there is this idea that, you know, if you listen to prog, you know, or at least prog rock in general is kind of pretentious and it's like high culture or it has the facade of high culture. And I, I completely understand that it is an acquired taste. And even now, when I listen to a prog artist or band that I haven't heard before, you know, it takes me a while to get comfortable with the music. I have to listen to it multiple times before I can say, okay, yeah, I do. I do like this and I'm going to save it to my library or I'm going to purchase the vinyl. I understand why some are so vitriolic towards the music. Actually, no, I don't understand why people are vitriolic towards the music. I understand why people say it's pretentious, but... I don't understand the vitriol. If you don't like it, move on. It's it's something that, you know, we can enjoy if we get tired of mainstream rock, or at least back then when they were tired, when, when, uh, you know, listeners or at least fans of music and artists were tired of mainstream rock. I discovered Prague due to Kanye West's Stronger. Um, I'm actually curious as to how many people who listened to that song who had never heard of Prague rock before, or at least in my age range, got into Prague because of this song. He sampled the famous King Crimson song. 
funny enough, he I don't think he could have chose a better artist to start uh, or to sample so that, you know, others could get interested into prog rock. Um, and before I get into that, you know, there are so many other great subgenres of prog rock. You know, there's this classic era that started in the late 60s, but prog is still going pretty strong now with the modern scene. And one of the modern prog groups that I listened to initially was the Mars Volta that, you know, initially got me curious as to how prog kind of adapted. Um, and it's for that reason why there's so many different genres. I know there's like a Canterbury scene that I really haven't focused too much on, but it's for that reason that I am focusing uh, for this list. I'm focusing on the heavy hitters of that initial classic phase. So without further ado, here are five albums to get you into classic prog rock. In the Court of the Crimson King, King Crimson, 1969. Arguably the most popular and most recognized prog rock albums ever, and the most recognized prog band just in general. If you're curious about this genre and have never heard anything about it, you need to start with this record. King Crimson is one of those bands that has difficulty holding on to band members, but the man who has remained consistent and is the mastermind behind King Crimson, I would argue that he is King Crimson, is Robert Fripp. Fripp is one of those musicians that you just have to put respect on his name, you know, with what he's established with Prague and how long he's been at it, just making music. You know, Fripp collaborated with other big names in rock, namely Talking Heads, David Bowie, Blondie, and of course, Brian Eno. But his first achievement, and probably his greatest, was In the Court of the Crimson King. This is an album that is so immense in its sound, yet there are moments that are just quiet and reserved. Take, for instance, the first track, 21st Century Schizoid Man, which is the track that Kanye sampled for Stronger. The lyrics depict death, war, starvation, paranoia, all the while these horrific and distorted syncopated saxophone and guitar riffs play. Then we have the instrumental bit Mirrors, which highlights the big band jazz influence of Prague. The sax and guitar parts allow us to take a break from the chaos and enjoy this bit of improvisation, which is arguably, you know, equally chaotic. It is a hellish opening to an album, but it is difficult to tear yourself away from it. On the opposite end, we have a track like Epitaph, which is just absolutely devastating in the most defeatist way possible with its lyrics that examine the horrors of humanity. You know, we have a somber Mellotron playing the downtrodden bass riff and Fripp's dramatic delivery. But, you know, no matter how dramatic and how just sad this track is, I love that chorus. I kind of sing along to it because Fripp is just so powerful in his delivery that I can't help but you know, react to that song just by singing to it. Moonchild and I Talk to the Wind are other tracks here that are just slower ballads, but I wanted to point out Epitaph because it's one of my favorite Crimson tracks. The album closes with The Court of the Crimson King, which uses the Mellotron to create this colossal, overpowering sound. Crimson's overuse of the Mellotron would inspire other prog bands to use this instrument in their music, so we're gonna hear a lot of the Mellotron. But it just goes so well with the band harmonies. You know, it amplifies the power of this track. Like I said when I started talking about this album, this is such an important 
record to listen to if you want to get into prog rock. It, it should be the first record you listen to if you're just interested in the genre and are ready to take the journey into beautiful prog music. But it will also start you down the path of listening to more King Crimson and Robert Fripp, which is not a bad thing. You're lucky you get to experience that if you haven't already. And um, I'm a bit jealous if I'm being truthful with you. Anyway, moving on. Close to the Edge, Yes, 1972. So when it comes to Yes, there were other options I could have picked to put on this list. Namely, Fragile from 1971, which is a phenomenal album. I have Fragile and Close to the Edge both on vinyl. You know, go listen to that album if you like the album that I'm about to talk about. But when it comes to this band, Close to the Edge is my favorite record of theirs. And I think one of the best albums this genre has had to offer. Following the success of Fragile, the band started experimenting with more complex arrangements. Uh, As a result, they ended up recording their longest song at the time with the title track at 18 minutes. But because they were devising these tracks in the studio, they had to record again and again and just scrapping things. They ended up recording each rehearsal just for future reference. And this process was just so tiresome that it caused drummer Bill Bruford to leave and join King Crimson. Imagine being able to say that you've played for Yes and King Crimson. After listening to how great these tracks are, I can't imagine how grueling the process was. The 18-minute epic that is the title track is pretty incredible and is considered one of the best songs in the genre. The first four minutes are chaotic as the music goes through many time signature and tempo shifts. It sounds like a classical composition as it goes through you know, the, the many phases, which is what lead singer John Anderson had in mind when creating the music for this album. The band established a theme, and throughout the track, we are reminded of that theme, and we get sort of variations of the same passage. You know, down at the end, close by the river, close to the edge, round by the corner, seasons will pass you by. I get up, I get down. There are a lot of things to admire in this suite, like the pipe organ motif, the atmospheric mellotron, there it is again, and organ during part three. But the thing that always sticks out to me, not just in this song, but in a lot of popular Yes songs, is the vocal harmonies. There are a lot of incredible harmonies on Fragile, but I think the band really hit their peak with this album. And I think it's kind of why the reason I was able to just sing along to that passage a couple moments ago when I did, because they're just so memorable. They just stick out to you, or at least stick out to me. And which makes it more inviting to just revisit it. The great thing about listening to this song multiple times is that you start to anticipate the band's amazing harmonies in part four, Seasons of Man. The entire movement just feels like it builds to it and it does not disappoint. Another highlight before I move on is the organ solo at the start of part four. It's a crazy polytonal and wacky bit of the song that is just goosebump inducing. The finale, Siberian Katru, I think I pronounced that right, is probably the most digestible of the three tracks here. It's only nine minutes long, which is just funny to say, but it does follow a more pop structure because it's not this 10 plus minute journey with shifting parts. It's a more traditional verse, chorus, verse structure that's just stretched out to 10 minutes with a catchy S chorus with another fun and catchy vocal harmony. I have to commend the bass work by Chris Squire. This is a funky riff. And the little Baroque harpsichord breakdown at the three-minute mark is impressive, and it it switches the song's structure a bit. But it feels like a cohesive and tight pop track, despite it being 
nine minutes long. But this is just a wonderful example of Baroque and classical inspirations in prog rock. And if you know Yes, if you've listened to a couple of Yes albums or you just want to listen to the band, I would say you got to listen to this album because it is just truly their masterpiece. Selling England by The Pound, Genesis, 1973. So complete transparency here. I have never heard a Genesis record until I heard this one. I didn't even really know about Genesis until I just, just recently. I mean, I've heard of Peter Gabriel, of course. I know who Phil Collins is, but I never really cared much about their music either. But after listening to this album, I'm kind of curious to hear more of their uh, proggy phase. Because I've heard this band has a pop um, era. But anyway, Selling England by the Pound was written in a short amount of time because a record label at the time, Charisma, wanted to capitalize on their success from their 1972 to 1973 tour and the popularity they were getting from the American market. At the same time, English journalists were criticizing them for appealing to their American audiences, and the band was just fed up with this, so they came up with the concept that capitalism is the root of England's problems, it's what it's destroying the country's culture for this album, which is still relevant today, but knowing their label was rushing them to release this album to capitalize on their success, it hits more of a personal note. They also include a bunch of British cultural references. You hear that throughout the first track, Dancing with the Moonlit Night. They take inspiration from English folk music, and they would later get criticized that they shoved in too many British references. So poor Genesis, they just really couldn't win. One of my favorite tracks, Firth of Fifth, begins with this quick tempo Baroque-inspired piano passage before erupting with energy and Gabriel coming in with his vocals. This is a song that transforms before our very ears. There's a piano passage, there's rock-focused parts, a stellar oboe solo, and a funky keyboard solo that crescendos with the percussion. The instrumental interlude section of this track is what really sold me on this track. The preceding track, I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe, was the band's first charting single, and after hearing it, it's no surprise how it became such a big hit. It checks the box of melodic, harmonious singing for me, something that I clearly love about Prague. But it also has a psychedelic quality to it, with the sitar and the Mellotron just soaring. It's very Beatles-esque, which isn't a bad thing. They just add an exciting crescendo to make it poppier, and I guess it kind of negates the effect that Prague wanted to have, but it's still a really good song. The Battle of Epping Forest is another epic prog composition that begins with a military march drum roll while the guitar riff slowly builds tension. And then that fades away to make way for this amazing organ melody. The chorus has this amazing guitar lick. Later, there's an incredible organ riff during verse two. There's just no shortage of amazing musical moments on this record. And I definitely need to check out more Genesis after this. Got any recommendations? Wish You Were Here, Pink Floyd, 1975, a band that needs no introduction. They've released one of the most popular albums of all time, The Dark Side of the Moon, which gave them universal acclaim. And that's another psychedelic progressive rock odyssey that I would recommend you go check out if you haven't already, which is, I mean, if you haven't checked out Dark Side of the Moon already, like, come on. But for this list, I chose to highlight the follow-up to that album, Wish You Were Here. Whenever a band has a record that receives critical 
and fan acclaim, it almost always seems like the follow-up project is going to fail no matter what. Because how can it follow up such a massive and important seminal release? Well, not only did Pink Floyd manage to release something on the level of Dark Side, but uh, they I think they made something that kind of surpassed it. Look, I know some who will dislike my opinion, but that's just how I feel. Wish You Were Here is better than Dark Side of the Moon. And while Dark Side is a wonderfully cinematic trip and remains one of my favorite Pink Floyd projects, there is an emotional and personal storytelling angle throughout Wish You Were Here that I just loved. Coming off the huge success that was Dark Side of the Moon, the band felt physically and emotionally drained. They found it difficult to create anything new at first, so they fell into this creative rough patch. On top of that, bassist and vocalist Roger Waters was beginning to miss founding member Sid Barrett, who had to leave the group due to a mental breakdown. This longing for their band member and their friend acted as the foundation for Shine On You Crazy Diamond and all of its nine parts. The lyrics directly reference Barrett, remember when you were young, you shone like the sun, and now there's a look in your eyes like black holes in the sky which could have referred to his heavy use of LSD. It most likely did, but it pretty much acted as the basis for this song and for this project. Musically, it shifts through various parts, nine to be exact. The first introduces these spacey, ethereal synths, which leads into the second part with a shimmering reverb guitar motif and a rhythm section adding a bit more funk into the mix. My favorite part has to be the fourth part, which starts around the 840 mark, and Waters' vocals come in and adds the emotional backbone of this track. The fifth part adds an amazing tenor sax solo along with the shimmering four-note guitar motif, which is Sid Barrett's theme, fun fact. Parts six through nine acts as sort of a reprise instead of giving us something new to analyze, but it's still a wonderful, beautiful piece of music. On the title track, Glimmer continues the theme of Missing Barrett that Waters started on Shine On, and ruminating about the band's success and wishing that Barrett could share this moment and the success and fame with them. Maybe they wouldn't feel as isolated or alienated if Barrett was still with them. The composition is fairly standard without any intricacies as Glimmer plays this bittersweet sounding 12 string guitar riff that I think is absolutely wonderful and reflects the cold and distant feeling the band was feeling during this you know, recording process. I'm also a huge fan of how they critique the music industry on this record. Both Welcome to the Machine and Have a Cigar are about the music industry, but I, I am more partial to the former. There's just a dark and devastating quality to it that I love, whether it's the odd sound effects, the foreboding rising sense, or the haunting lyrics, especially in verse 2. What did you dream? It's alright, we told you what to dream. You dreamed of a big star. He played a mean guitar. He always ate in the steak bar. He loved to drive in his Jaguar. So welcome to the machine. A great metaphor for the music industry and the record labels that tried to impose the image of a rock star onto an artist or just to, you know, push an album's release like with Genesis. But Wish You Were Here is not only a classic prog rock album, but it is a heartbreaking and personal insight of a band going through just the roughest patch in their lives. After years of listening to it, I think I have started to prefer the more intimate aspects of this record than the grand and spectacular sound of the music, which I still love and is still great. Don't get me wrong. But this is another album that I feel like, I, I think it's the second album you should probably listen to if you've never heard of prog rock before and you are looking for albums to just sink your teeth into. Moving Pictures, Rush. 
1981. I was initially confused when I heard moving pictures because it was very radio friendly. The music sounded safe. It was tight, aside from one song. But I was thinking, you know, this isn't prog. This is just, you know, mainstream hardcore rock. But this was the band continuing to write poppier mainstream songs, which led to breakout hits like Vital Signs, YYZ, Limelight, and especially Tom Sawyer. Despite creating shorter songs, that didn't stop them from creating complex arrangements. Tom Sawyer may have a 4-4 drum beat, but there is a keyboard solo that is in 7-8. YYZ has a very creative song structure as the band wanted to shout out, I guess, their local airport, Toronto Pearson International Airport, which is represented by the Morse code YYZ. So the song's rhythm is in a 5-4 time signature where the dashes are played using 8th notes and the dots are 16th notes. On top of that, wizardry the song has some incredible solos. You know, listen to Alex Lifeland's heavy guitar and Getty Lee's incredible bass solo. Some real technical stuff going on in this track, but also some really poppier elements that you could just grab onto. But if you want true prog, then the track The Camera Eye has you covered. It's the album's lengthiest song at 11 minutes, and it goes through many tempo and time signature shifts, different solos with the Mellotron, synths, and guitars, I will say it has a propelling guitar melody that is pretty consistent uh, throughout the track, and it's easy to follow. I would say it is the most accessible album on this list, but I wouldn't recommend listening to it first, obviously. It is a good album to listen to, though, if you are looking for more mainstream examples of prog rock, and you can kind of compare this record to the previous four records, to just the song structures and the lengths and the different movements. Plus, the songs here are pretty freaking good. All right, and that's my list. To recap, I have In the Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson, Close to the Edge by Yes, Selling England by the Pound by Genesis, Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, and Moving Pictures by Rush. Are there any albums that I missed here? What would you put on your five albums to get into prog rock or classic prog rock? What is your favorite album out of the list here? What is your favorite band let me know on Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters or leave a voice message on anchor.fm forward slash Sound Encounters or soundencountertspodcast.com because I would love to continue this classic prog rock conversation. And that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Make sure to tune in next week for another exciting installment. I have a double feature of two bands, guides to two bands that I want to cover. Can you guess who that is? They're not related at all, except for the genre. So you, I'll keep you guessing. In the meantime, you can follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram pages with the handle at Sound Encounters. I post updates and share music memes on those accounts. And I interact with the lovely people who give my posts a like and a comment. You can also send me a voice message through Anchor to recommend a topic I should talk about, or you could give me some feedback. And if you do, I'll give you a shout out on the show. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash sound encounters or soundencounters.com or follow the link in the podcast description to send your message. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and that too could be featured in an upcoming episode. All right, that about wraps it up. Rock on music explorers. I'll see you next week. Ciao.